the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. It is Wednesday, June 1st. My name is Matt Pollard, and happy Pride Month. Also, happy belated Memorial Day to all our service members and their families past and present. I thought about putting 17 minutes of silence before the start of this pod because the Rapids didn't show up until the 17th minute on Saturday, but my co-host said no. I'm joined now by said co-host, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Matt is clearly still mad at me for not letting, not subjecting all of you to 17 minutes of, of radio silence to start this podcast. I profusely apologize to you, Matt, but not to our listeners who probably would have just been like, either listened to this and been in silence for five minutes and been like, this is way better than the podcast, or just been really pissed off at us for giving them dead air. Yes, and uh, I did not listen to you. Um, for those of you who don't know, folks, I do most of the after we finish, after we hit the stop record. No, Matt, you, you do all of it. <laughs> yes, so I do the editing of the podcast. I do all the SEO stuff, the setting it up with the show notes and everything, the actual posting it, and then also the article podcast, which you can find at last word on sports.com backslash soccer. And so one of the benefits of control that I have in there, listeners, is me getting to decide sometimes without any checked power, uh, unlike certain branches of government in certain countries. Uh, what the podcast title is. So, Mark, I'm willing to say now, after uh, both of us having a really good, uh, completely organic word phrase last week that could have been used as a band name or a podcast title or an MLS Fantasy team name, me going with mine as opposed to yours, we're now even because I went with your idea instead of my crazy thematic, but obviously idea that would be annoying to the listeners. Always good. Always good. Uh, your ideas are always better than mine as long as you continue to do all the editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Mark, so we got two banter topics to talk about. Uh, listeners, I said we're coming to you on the evening of June 1st. This is just after the friendly at TQL Stadium between the United States men's national team and Morocco. Full-time 3-0 to Los Estados Unidos. Goals from Brendan Aronson, Tim Weah, and then Haji Wright by a PK that was drawn by Christian Pulisic. Uh, Mark, Morocco is a team that will also be at the World Cup. Uh, they are a team that is not as good as any of the teams I think the U.S. will play in the group stage, and I'm saying that given what we know Wales is capable of in international tournaments and obviously what Ukraine did to Scotland earlier today at time of recording, but the U.S. scores goals, the kids look good, uh, the guys who we know are going to be in Qatar look good, nobody got hurt, Aaron Long didn't look terrible as another option at center back, uh, yay? Yeah, I think you, wow, you, you that was the fastest wrap-up of a match ever. It's very hard for me to calibrate anything off of Morocco. I thought Morocco looked lousy. Uh, they they look like, you know, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps in a bad year. Or um, uh, FC Cincinnati, although I think Cincinnati defends better. Like, you know, like they just didn't look like a very good soccer team. And so trying to figure out, like, what did this game mean about mean for us? 
was a good one. I just noticed that uh, Walker Zimmerman came off at the half. Um, he was having uh, a little bit of pain in his knee, apparently, according to reports. So that's slightly concerning because I think he's one of our best center backs. Um, I thought the other thing that was interesting was that we rotated in just like chalk full of dudes, like just a lot of guys got into that match and all of them um, kind of like uh, showed pretty well. But uh, we're starting to have like, we've been having a conversation for a while in USMNT camp of the fact that we have like a million really interesting options at midfield uh, and not a whole lot of striker striker options. Um, you know, Ricardo Pepe is probably the best, but we haven't been talking about him lately. Um, people are talking about Pulisic as your striker option, although, you know, he's a winger and not a striker. Um, and that's just, you know, uh, up top we had uh, Jesus Ferreira, um, who didn't score a goal and came off after 45 minutes, and Timothy Weah, who looked good, but uh, also really a winger. So, you know, it's, do we really truly have a proper center forward who can do the job and will be there in Qatar? The, the jury, The jury is still out. Matt's with me. Matt thinks that Jossie Zardes would be a great pick, but that would only further my uh, goal of winning some sort of bet that we had earlier <laughs> in the year. Where, what did I say? You, I said that there was a better chance of Jossie Zardes being with the team than Sam Vines? Is that... I, I picked Kellen Acosta and you picked Yossi Zardes. And yeah. to be fair, this was pre-Zardes trade. That's right. Uh, and I think we just bet. I think originally I was wagering a jersey, Mark, but I think we settled on a, a six-pack of beer, which I think is a fair trade. Well, considering a six-pack of beer and or a, a jersey, it could be the same amount, depending on whether you go to away days for uh, for the mystery kit, um, which is a good bargain. But yeah, we're just really short on guys. And then... We did bring on a guy I'd never heard of, Malik Tillman, left wing from Bayern Munich. Matt, we have an infinite supply of um, uh, German-parented former U.S. servicemen's kids in Germany, don't we? Like, every I had no idea this guy existed, and all of a sudden, we've got this guy, and he's he's German, but he filed a one-time switch apparently yeah well it's it's we have that and then former fc dallas academy kids who've gone to byron munich and then had an offshoot so like i think chris richards probably in the next couple weeks is going to be looking for a permanent move to a lower level bundesliga club where he's going to start but yeah no i think the um mark i i was i was talking to richard terry on sunday we were both at the bulldog uh watching nottingham forest get promoted and we were kind of talking about how, you know, it's with the two big moves that our main uh, goalkeepers have had recently. Well, I'll say, you know, Zach Steffen or Zach Steffen being at Man City where we know he's not going to start, especially after what he did at Wembley, what, a month ago now, um, you know, that he's not going to start for Man City come the fall. Matt Turner, who I thought looked fine, but, you know, yep. isn't going to start at Arsenal. Does he join Lone Brigade FC? Possibly. Uh, and sure. then Ethan Horvath, who, you know, has been a backup as Rice Samba was the starter and starred for Nottingham Forest as they got promoted. If Horvath wasn't starting in the championship, even if Samba leaves, I don't think he's starting in the Premier League. It's funny that I was like, oh, we've got so many, we've got a couple good options at goalkeeper. One of them will come good. And I now am ending the World Cup qualification cycle with less confidence in the goalkeeper position and way less certainty. I feel like the more games we play and the more I see somebody not take it, the less certainty and the more concerned I am about the striker position 
and I'm not sure unless unless Jesus Ferreira scores like 12 goals in the rest of this window in uh, CONCACAF Nations League. I'm not sure that that's going to change how I feel um, come the end of the month. Um, Mark, we haven't talked about the center back position. This is still an area of concern with Miles Robinson out with the Achilles at Atlanta, and then whatever has gone on in terms of personal beef between uh, Triple G and then um, John Anthony Brooks. Uh, is there a center back that you particularly like from this group that you want or believe can do that? I think it's Aaron Long because I think he's an older version of Walker Zimmerman in MLS in terms of being a really good player on a team that he is uh, very important to from a defensive standpoint and a leadership standpoint that I think plays well or translates well to the national team. So it's Aaron Long for me. But Mark, do you like Aaron Long, CCV, Eric Palmer-Brown? I mean, Cameron Carter-Vickers looked pretty decent tonight, but he's really never proven in... He's been on the radar for the USMNT for, like, what, five years now? And he's not really emerged as a as a real guy. Um, I also think it's, for me, um, uh, and you, you can... I think anyone can disagree with this idea, but I have a really hard time with calibrating anybody who plays for Celtic or Rangers in that, like, they play 30 garbage matches a year against terrible opponents, and then they show up in Europa League or Champions League, get obliterated, and then move on. It's really hard to evaluate where Celtic players are. I've been keeping an eye on Celtic for a long time because they have a number of, they have had over the last many years, a number of um, top players for the Israeli national team who I follow very closely. Um, and they're just, you just can't rely on anything you see because it's like watching the U.S. play Morocco, right? We blow them out of the water and it's like, oh, we're definitely going to make it to the semifinals of Qatar. And then they play an actually good team and suddenly they look bad. So it's hard to tell whether CCV is really all that good. You're, you're right. I think, um, Long is probably up there. Um, I don't think John Anthony Brooks rates at all, but I think there's, there are a lot of calls to kind of let him back in. And I, and um, uh, the other one that is still on the radar is Jeff Cameron uh, that, that folks think that uh, Jeff Cameron still rates um, Matt's furrowing his brow because he hasn't heard that out there, but the idea that there are some veteran, you have to bring some veteran MLS or MLS um, USMNT guys who've been there before. I mean, at this point, I guess the veterans are, um, there's probably going to be no one who played on a previous World Cup, right? I mean, just that was eight years ago. There's no way around it. But the guys who were in qualifying four years ago are um, basically uh, Pulisic um, uh, and DeAndre Edlin. And I think that's pretty much it, right? Those are our veterans. But if you were going to bring Brooks or Cameron, that would give you one more guy who's been there before, even if they're deep in the bench. Correct me if I'm wrong on this one, Mark. I believe, I think I've heard this somewhere in the last, from the start of World Cup qualification to now, the only players that have featured for the U.S. national team in any game, friendly World Cup qualifier or or what, have been DeAndre Yedlin and John Anthony Brooks from the 2014 team. And I think the only other the only other one that maybe you would have brought is would Brad Guzan be content being just like the wily old veteran third goalkeeper? That's obviously not happening now with his long term injury. So um, it's interesting. We'll see what happens. There are other outlets, folks, that will cover the USMNT better than us. Rabbi and I will probably be pretty quiet. 
Nobody will cover it better than us. We know everything about soccer, and you shouldn't listen to anyone about anything for anything ever. We're the geniuses. There are other outlets that will cover the U.S. men's national team more closely, and obviously from a Rapids context, this camp is rather irrelevant with um, the with no Cole Bassett or Sam Vines in the group, the only Colorado Rapid uh, past or present who's with the USMNT right now is Kellen Acosta. And then I believe Mark, the only did Mark Anthony cake hold up for Canada. I think he did. So um, maybe we'll check in before uh, we preview uh, the new, the NYCFC game to talk about how Mac did with the Canadian men's national team, the Kings of CONCACAF. But in any case, Mark, uh, the other big news from this week has been Charlotte FC with possibly the weirdest first half of the season firing of a coach in an expansion MLS team in history. Like Alan Koch got fired from FC Cincinnati, but we knew why. Um, And so Miguel Angel Ramirez is out at Charlotte FC pretty ambiguous statements uh both from the press release from the club on twitter and then from the press conference that has happened since then uh kind of cryptic messages coming from owner dave tepper and then the um and the technical director over at fc cincinnati implying that there was just disharmony and wasn't really healthy working relationships and then there's pretty much a confirmed rumor out there, there's been so many people have reported on it that it, that there's no way this is completely not true is that one of the designated players on charlotte widely believed to be striker carol swinderski basically openly said that if this person was still the head coach they didn't want to continue playing after the international window basically saying i'm going away with the national team for three weeks fire him and get somebody else in or by the time i get back the new international window is going to come uh transfer me um and so that's why they believe to be Carol Swinderski, who's been their main very good goal scorer and everything. And so that on top of possibly discontent with the front office standpoint, maybe some still lingering wounds from his spicy quote in preseason uh, that he said in Spanish uh, that it was the equivalent of we're effed and just general not getting along with players potentially has created this. Uh, Mark, what the heck does this, uh, what does this say about Charlotte? How much of what's come out that's been public or been confirmed or statements from the club do we actually believe is true? What do we think the actual story is? How bad of a precedent is set in terms of prioritizing potentially what a DP striker wants over the actual head coach? And how much more does this just imply that the Colorado Rapids actually have a healthy group team culture unlike a certain expansion team i don't understand anything that just happened i mean honestly matt you 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 gave the news and i believe all of it happened literally the way you said it did which is that the dp striker said my way or the highway with the head coach and the team said take a hike um and the coach got fired but it doesn't make a lot of sense on two levels level number one is if you're if if you as a team fire your head coach because your designated player doesn't like him it's possible that the other 22 players in the team don't really like him but it's also more likely that what you've laid down is uh the kind of expectation that every coach from here on out will kowtow to the DP player and all other 22 players are at the mercy and the whims of this other player. It reminds me of an old episode of Twilight Zone where there's a little girl, and actually The Simpsons did a bit on this with Treehouse of Horror one year. There's a little girl who can wish whatever she wants, 
and everybody in the town is terrified of her. Oh, is this the where where the kid like banishes people they don't like to the the cornfield? Is it that episode? They just disappear. The people just like disappear. They're like gone. Or like you know, there's a in the Simpsons episode they uh, Bart turns Homer into a Jack in the Box, right? Um, and like that's what you're setting up, right? You're basically setting up that like your DP player can do whatever it wants. That's that's problem number one. Problem number two, Charlotte or eighth. Right? Like in the table. They're they have five wins, one draw, eight losses. They're fine. They're doing they're having a fine season. They're actually, if you kinda like look at things in the context of every expansion team with the exception of the Chicago Fire in nineteen ninety seven who won the league, they're having a very good expansion year. I mean, there's very few expansion teams other than maybe LAFC or Atlanta United who are this good. I mean, you look at the history of Toronto FC, Toronto would have killed to have been this mediocre in their first couple of years. Toronto were a bad team for the first couple of years. Look at three-time Wooden Spoon winning Cincinnati, or is it two times and the first season they just barely got saved by San Jose? That's right. But they were nearly, they they were like Wooden Spoon runner-ups in their first season, followed by two consecutive Wooden Spoons. That's right. They'd totally take eighth place. They'd be thrilled with it. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it speaks to a deep, deep dysfunction in the Charlotte team. Uh, I would not be surprised if they start tanking right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it, honestly, Mark. I, I have to wonder, you know, at least at the from a transition standpoint, they're going to have a couple weeks if there's a significant tactical change with what they're doing. Um, the players are going to have a couple weeks to deal with this. I guess the in that regard, maybe you don't. To the extent that Charlotte was hoping for a new coach bump, you kind of timed it poorly in terms of that because you got, what, three weeks before your next game and everything. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but it continues to show that expansion teams are not usually very functional from a front office standpoint or just it takes a while and usually a lot of people changing um, and maybe a little bit of like internal soccer front office regicide for somebody to kind of evolve and do that. You know, we saw a rotating cast of coaches with FC Cincinnati and then even we've seen that with successful teams as well where you know maybe Bob Bradley in LAFC was the only one that was stable where ultimately his departure was because his contract ran out and both parties were ready to move on to a different project having won some things but ultimately failed in terms of trying to win an MLS Cup but then you know even Atlanta who you know were coming out like gangbusters and they played super well basically Tata Martino wanted to leave because you know he and Carlos Bocanegra like could not get along and some of that was transfer related and a lot of that was just the fact that they were arguing over both internally and then from a uh, court of public opinion standpoint who got the credit and I think it's amazing that you know those little things that you know just the the egos and the insecurities of people in those positions can sometimes rule overall um and i think it's it, it speaks well of the rapids in that Giassi's artist is not that kind of designated player who would basically openly say fire you know fire robin frazier because i don't want to play for him or trade me at this point and i think it also speaks to the fact that you know nobody i think either within the team or maybe even really the coaching staff or the front office cares who get the credit as long as the team overall is successful. I think if you asked Robin Frazier 
if he had a choice between going back last year and getting coach of the year, but nothing else changes or him winning MLS Cup, I know he what he would say a hundred times if I asked him that question a hundred times. I don't think Jossie Zardes cares or Diego Rubio cares about winning the Golden Boot if they win MLS Cup. So I think it speaks to Mark, the fact that the Rapids have a really good culture and a lot of expansion teams don't. And clearly FC Cincinnati, or excuse me, clearly Charlotte FC now are totally screwed, probably. Uh, Martin's past Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Uh, the Rapids play Nashville SC in the Gary Smith uh, Revenge Derby. And Nashville SC ended up winning. It was 3-1. It was 3-0 after 17 minutes. Uh, eighth minute, uh, you have a goal from CJ Sapong off of a recycled free kick. Lovitz puts the ball into the box. No one really picks him up. Dave Romney heads it back uh, into the mixer. Keegan Rosenberry was there. He doesn't win the header. Keegan Rosenberry then goes out of bounds, thereby making any play that happened within bounds being onside. Walker Zimmerman uh, slightly whiffs on his shot to try and put it into the net. Lao Sabubakar doesn't challenge him well enough on that, and CJ Sapong has a tap in. Austin Trusty marked him poorly, and William Yarbrough did not close out the angle on that. 15th minute, 2-0. Uh, Mukhtar from Lovitz. Uh, he goes upper 90 on a really quick free kick. I think this is from a defensive and a what went wrong standpoint, Mark. Maybe the least egregious of the goals. Maybe the Rapids were caught a little bit napping in terms of how quickly Nashville started on the restart that was off of a yellow card or a foul by Diego Rubio, I believe. <clears throat> and then Jack Price doesn't really close down Mukhtar and he only has like one step of space on Lawless Abubakar, but he also puts the ball in the one spot where he could have scored upper 90, good goal. It only had maybe a 4% chance of going in according to MLS soccer.com with their xg calculation so two nil nashville and then two minutes later counterattack. Markanish gives up the ball he's out of position hawkinson dribbles forward has a nice little move on danny wilson and then a uh, perfectly weighted ball to mukhtar who heads it in in between trusty and abubakar in the six and yarbrough there none of those three challenged for the ball uh you know very simple header for Mukhtar to put in. Uh, Mukhtar almost creates an own goal by Lawless in the 21st minute. And then the Rapids get on the board finally in the 78th on a direct free kick from Diego Rubio. That is his second free kick goal of the season and his seventh overall for the Pids in MLS play. Mark, uh, I could go over a bunch of chances that the Rapids had in the second half after their response to Nashville clearly shutting up shop. I think that be purely academic because the result was ultimately decided in the 70th minute. So yes, Rubio created a bunch of chances. He, he's shown that we know that uh, Mikey Barrios comes off the bench and has I'd argue his best performance of the season Jack Price called it you know the Mikey of old the Mikey we knew from last year so that was kind of nice to see but you know all of these are moral victories and what was ultimately a very disappointing loss a disappointing and befuddling performance that almost, that befittingly ended the 23 game unbeaten run uh, at home for the Colorado Rapids Mark where do you want to start uh, great crowd. I mean, good turnout, like 15 and a half thousand, which is, you know, we're starting to get into that. Hey, the weather's nice. Let's go see a soccer game uh, phase. But if, you know, ultimately with the Colorado Rapids, if you can't win a lot of games on a regular basis and prove yourself to be a really fun, exciting team to watch, people will say, you know, let's try out those Colorado Rapids over and over and over again. But nobody will ever actually become a season ticket holder. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, the only the only the only big thing for me, Matt, is both goals that we conceded in, what was it, the seventh minute and the, like, 14th, 15th, what was it? Not eighth minute and the 15th minute. 
Yeah, yeah. The first two were on um, restarts. And uh, the first one was really bad. I mean, the back line looked like they were doing some sort of triple hybrid between man marking, zonal marking, and I think we're just going to lie in a cabana and take a nap marking, right? Like there was just not, it wasn't organized. It wasn't, it wasn't sensical. I didn't understand what they were trying to do. Um, the second restart, they, they just didn't seem to be ready to follow their guys and do the thing. And once you're down two to nothing that early in the game, it's really hard to get back into it because the opponent is just going to uh, bunker or let you have the ball or just kind of sit around and do things. And and I think effectively, you know, statistically, that's basically what happened since um, at the, by the end of the game, Nashville had 36% possession and the Rapids had 64. That's because they scored their two goals and they said, like, we don't have to do anything. And, you know, we're, we're good to go. So um that was it was a bummer of a game it it's really hard to figure out um what's going wrong with this team and if it can be fixed um i think there's some depth problems there's some talent problems i, I feel like we're we're making these passes regularly where we're just a little off all the time like we're we're just everything's just not clean enough and quick enough um and deadly enough and effective enough and uh, that's what we look like in offense, but in defense, you know, if you concede early, you're dead. What do you think, Matt? Well, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot going wrong and there are a lot of different ways of looking at what's going wrong. I'm sure you have a different perspective on things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think just the, the, I don't, I feel like this performance is just so out of character from what we've seen from this team, even in the bad games or the bad road games that they've played last year. There's a part of me that just wants to wonder that, you know, everybody, at some point, everybody has a, this is so MLS performance and goes out and gets completely shelled. You know, like LAFC's game, you know, a couple weeks ago against the Rapids, you know, I'm sure at some point, you know, NYCFC is going to have a road game against inner Miami or a team that doesn't make the playoffs and they find a way to lose that game three, two after being up two nil. And you look at it and it's like, how did this happen? So, you know, everybody kind of gets one of those mulligans, for example, where just everything goes wrong and then happens maybe two to three times a year. And maybe this is that one for the Rapids. I don't know. Maybe the one tactical thing that I thought was interesting or that Keegan Rosenberry kind of pointed out when we were trying to pick it together is uh, the Rapids were expecting Nashville to press up front with the two. It ended up being Honey Mukhtar and then CJ Sapong, all three, the two of whom scored the three goals, I believe. And so then they thought with the back three for the most part, because the, the team mostly started in the empty bucket, but then as things didn't really work from a possession standpoint, um, it would have been Markanich and then I can't remember who the other who the other wide um, fullbacky player was. Let me look at the lineup now since I have a minute. Rosenberry. So it would have been Trusty, Wilson, and then Bubakar on the back, thinking that they could have had a 3v2 advantage and then use that to play through the lines, effectively create what um, I've heard the club and others call internally as a pressure trap. But then sometimes it was Honkinson, sometimes it was Anunga, um, Lovitz was playing really high, Eric Miller at times was playing really high as well. One of those four usually 
Hawkinson would press up as well. And then you created a 3v3 situation. And I think just did a really good job of anticipating that. And the Rapids didn't really have, didn't find a way to solve that. And after the third goal, they didn't really solve it so much as Gary Smith probably said, okay, hey guys, we've got our 3-0. Let's make sure it's 3-0 at halftime. And then, you know, let's, let's close it out. And at that point, Nashville was parking the bus and then just relying on what they were doing in transition. And as soon as you create that goal, it kind of becomes a... For a road team, especially a team that's coming in and inherently a defensive team like Gary Smith's team that is going to be even more pragmatic on the road and even more pragmatic playing at altitude for the first time in a very long time is that as soon as you get that goal, that changes the game state to where you do even more extreme of what you were doing before. So as soon as they had the three goals, they could step back, put 10 men behind the ball, cover space, you know, don't leave anybody open, that kind of thing. Walker Zimmerman and uh, the goalkeeper Panicio were going to eat up any big crosses into the box, especially in the second half with Jossie Zardes out that was going to nullify what the Rapids were doing if they were playing long ball or what they were doing on set pieces. And then just when you get your opportunity, create a transition moment and then try Try and score another goal. And that just makes it so much easier on the opponent when basically you spot them a 3-0 lead in the 17th minute. By the time you get to the 17th minute and then their lungs are finally burning because of the altitude. Now, I don't know if that initial, the problem statement that Rosenberry implied in that they were expecting them to press with two and they were pressing with three. And then as soon as the Rapids got caught, a fourth one press based on what side of the ball, what side of the field it went to. Because Lovis versus Rosenberry, it's an interesting defensive matchup. And Markanish, Mark, I thought, you know, at times got eaten alive by Eric Miller, uh, former Colorado Rapid Eric Miller. And so I'm wondering, was that just the Rapids not being on? And if we went out and we played this game, you know, nine other times. Times, then most of those times the Rapids would be okay? Or did Gary Smith find something that is a key weakness to the Rapids that then other coaches are potentially going to try and replicate? That's a question that I don't yet have an answer to, uh, and we might not get an answer to that until June 19th against NYCFC, potentially. But I think that was the start of the problem, and the fact that they didn't address it, I thought, was really concerning, both from a tactical standpoint, what was Frazier saying after the first goal, the second goal, the third goal, um, what was Jack Price doing? I think that showed like me a lack of leadership or a lack of urgency in that. And so... And that I just think the 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 game plan was inherently flawed and Nashville had a really simple, obvious and effective way of countering attack it. And the Rapids didn't deal with that from an X's and O standpoint or an actual mentality standpoint. And, you know, Jack Price kind of said it in postgame media availability saying, you know, I, you know, he raised his hand and said, you know, I could have done something more from a leadership standpoint, or maybe I go yell at Robin or somebody from the bench. And, you know, maybe we just say for the first 20 minutes after that first goal, hey, Will, we're, we're kicking it long. We're not playing out of the back. Let's just get into the midfield. Because once you can't cleanly exit your own defensive third and then get into the midfield, you don't set yourself up well from attack, an attacking standpoint, and you make it way easier for the opponent to come at you, which is what Nashville did. Um, Mark, I've been talking for a lot. Did that make sense from a Pep Guardiola tactics board standpoint? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think another question that we could start to ask about this team is like, are we getting our best 11 on the field? Um, Mark Anthony K didn't start this game. He, he, uh, came on later. Um, but he did start against Seattle and then came off, I think with an injury in the 40th minute. Um, there's a couple other players that you could ask those questions about. Michael Barrio started this game. Came off at half for Jossie Zardes. Um, you know, Zardes was probably getting a rest at this point. Um, <clears throat> Max Alva is coming on for Anthony Markanek. Why not start 
Max, I know that he's been kind of a nothing burger to start the year, but maybe that's that's a question that we need to start asking, which is like, are we getting our best guys on the field and should we start, you know, yielding for other players? The back line is our regular, talented, normal, good, solid back line guys. That's, I think, the part that is uh, most worrisome. And then the additional other worry is like, okay, Marcanic at left back, um, effectively left wing back. Like, all right, are we really thin at left wing back um, if Lucas Estevez isn't available without the depth of Brian Galvan, having traded Sam Vines, right? Like, that's a that's been a very important pivot position for the Colorado Rapids for many, many years, going all the way back to Edgar Castillo, um, going back to Mark Birch. I mean, we've had a lot of quality at left back, and it's been important for keeping this team in the mix. Is that where the problems really develop, that we just don't lock down that position and we don't look solid? Um, it's a single bullet theory. I know that like trying to figure out like what's going on with this team, but like, Matt, you gave a very complicated, you know, there are seven dimensions of chess to why we're not succeeding. And my answer was maybe we just got to fix one guy and then we're fine. I don't know. Maybe I'm oversimplifying and maybe you're oversimplifying. I don't really, uh, and you're maybe I'm over simplifying and you're over complexifying, I don't really know what the answer here is, um, but I am really worried about this team, you know, because we are currently um, six points out of fourth place, which is great, but we're also, I think, five points out of last place, which is bad. <laughs> yeah, no, so a few things there, Mark. I, I think in the last two games, we've kind of seen the ceiling initially for what Mark Hanich is capable of as a rookie, and then also where his floor is. Should be pointed out, folks, that Markanich started likely because Lucas Estevez was assessed an extra game suspension for right. his actions in stoppage time against Daniel Shallowy. Should be pointed out in defending him after Shallowy basically assaulted um, uh, Nicholas Mosquita in a dead ball situation. So I would argue, Mark, that I, I would argue from what we've seen from an attacking standpoint, absolutely Estevez's ceiling is higher than Markanich. I would argue his defensive floor from a defensive marking, playing out of the back, don't give up a ball, it don't commit a turnover in a way that creates an opportunity for the opponent is better. Obviously, Estevez can rage quit and he can, you know, choose violence in moments in ways that we have not seen from Anthony Marcanet. So I think that's a simple solution. But, you know, Brian Acosta and Diego Rubio's are withdrawn number nine and the bite from the midfield just wasn't there in the ways that you needed it to be. And in that, the Rapids kind of got frustrated and it kind of compounded itself. And we've kind of seen where things aren't necessarily going well, that it's hard for, the, you know, once things start to snowball downhill, it's kind of hard for the Rapids to adjust to that well enough. We saw that in the second half against Sporting Kansas City. We've seen that pretty much every single time they've gone they've gone to um the uh Cal the Bank of California stadium or that they've gone to Rio Tinto for example. And so that's a con another concern that I have, but just fundamentally Mark there there's so many defensive mistakes that I could point out on the first goal and that on the third goal and I just want to believe that, you know, by now at time of recording Wednesday night, the Rapids have looked at it, they know how to address it and they're going to be way better for it come 
the game against NYCFC. I guess that's the that's the main issue that I'm still going back to of how much of this was just Gary Smith had the perfect defensive game plan to combat what the Rapids were trying to do, completely unsettle them, and how much of it was just the fact that the Rapids were just completely out of character from anything we've seen from them this year at home and certainly in the last now 24 I'll include 25 because I'll include the playoff game as well, Um, you know, just from a character and a mentality and an intensity in how they start games standpoint at uh, DSG, you know, is the the question I have. Um, A few other individual news and notes here, Mark. Um, You know, I I was really impressed with Diego Rubio goal. Um, He's shown that he can be deadly on direct free kicks. I'm almost now at the point, Mark, where if it's in a situation where you have an option to go indirect or direct, I would almost want price and uh, Rubio in and around the ball to have both of those options available. And I'd almost prefer Rubio trying to take a shot on goal and then either score or create something on a rebound rather than Price doing something. Obviously, Price should still be taking uh, corner kicks. I don't think that Rubio should be coming in and trying to go full Olympico on corner kicks. And then Giassi's artist, as you mentioned, Rabbi, was subbed out at halftime. I asked Robin Frazier about that. The initial plan was for that to be a planned substitution, like how we saw with Price coming back from his hamstring injury a few weeks ago. Uh, But... uh, Zardis apparently had felt a little bit of tightness, not like a full it coming back again, but it was starting to bother him. And we've seen Frazier, particularly early on in the season, be very conservative with players in that situation. So it was a planned sub that ended up being a, okay, there's no way we're not doing this substitution. I would imagine, folks, given that uh, Zardis now has another three weeks to deal with that, that that should not be a limiting factor for him to play at least 60-plus minutes uh, at NYCFC. And then Rubio got a yellow card in the second half. Let me check that before Joseph Samuelson or Jason Maxwell yell at me for being technically incorrect. Uh, the Rubio yellow card came in the 14th minute. I apologize uh, for dissent. With that mark, uh, he now is on yellow card accumulation. He is unavailable for the game against NYCFC, further inhibiting the Rapids attack outside of Giassi Zardes. Uh, mark, uh, maybe the last big technical thing that I want to point out, Rosenberry was out of bounds and behind the end line behind the goal on the first goal for Nashville. Per the laws of the game, even when a defensive player is out of bounds, they are still valid in terms of being taken into account for offsides. So as soon as he was out of bounds and then uh, William Yarbrough was at or close to the goal line and CJ Sapong was behind or further upfield of either of those players, then the play was going to be onside. So I know there were a lot of people asking questions about that on Twitter. Goal absolutely was valid. Um... And so there's no concern about that. That should not have been. That shouldn't have even gone to a VAR. That was a technicality and a good call by the Lino in that regard. Uh, Rabbi, anything else you want to say about this? I've got one good thing that's completely unrelated to the game. Go for it. And then I'll say one thing. Okay, so uh, Fulham Dave uh, got me a Fulham shirt, a polo shirt that I am currently wearing right now. Uh, Dave, uh, the Pope of Commerce City, the Pitts Pope, uh, got it. And he wasn't sure if uh, the uh, Fulham uh, FC... Uh, 
store messed up something with the size or anything or he accidentally ordered a small but then he was like hmm i got this it's a small you know there's only like four fulham fans in denver so he's like the the other ones i know are medium and he was like matt probably wears a small and he's like hey matt he texted me on i think thursday or friday night when we were watching the avs blues game and he said you know hey matt what t-shirt size do you wear by chance i was like usually a small but i can wear a medium he's like great find me at the tailgate and i'm like okay this is a surprise and fun and we'll see what this is and so now i'm wearing it right now so uh mark what is to say about the game itself when the best part about it was i got a shirt from a friend that isn't rapids related at all before the game so it's a good it's a good point i'll say something semi-related and good but also whimsically strange as well which is if you were listening last week you probably heard me say the rapids have won all their home games and lost all their road games that streak is too weird to continue the rapids are going to have to lose a home game so by the continued logical property the next time we play an away game we're certainly going to win it right so i feel good about uh just uh random happenstance affecting the colorado rapids way more than actual tactics or personnel mark are you calling are you right now predicting a win at nycfc on the 19th gonna happen absolutely we'll preview <laughs> that game coming up but we're absolutely beating them although the big question is whether tati castellanos will still be with them since the window is open for transfers and he's been rumored to be gone for over six months at this point yeah very good question there rabbi uh, last thing that i want to say um i was asking about this in the press block mark i was at the <clears throat> c38 tailgate beforehand i was asking pretty much everyone i spoke to about this this was gary smith's first time back at Dick Sporting Goods Park. I can't remember if he would have been the head coach for the Open Cup game at Vanderbilt University um, in which the Rapids lost to the USL championship iteration of Nashville SC, but effectively it was his first He was. I remember he was. Okay, so maybe this wasn't the first uh, revenge of the Smith, but in any case, it was him coming back to Dick Sporting Goods Park. Coach Kamara on the bench for... Nashville SC, Matt Piggins being the big, angry, energetic person that he was warming up the goalkeepers as well. Uh, Mark uh, Pickens looks like he could still play. Like there is legitimately, there's at worst a USL League One team that would get an upgraded goalkeeper position by getting Matt Pickens. I think there's multiple USL championship teams where he would at least be in consideration for semi-regular playing time at the goalkeeper position. And then Jamie Smith, who just recently stepped aside from being the academy director at Nashville. Um, I think that – so I was asking everybody about this, Mark. There were a lot of fans, obviously, who were like, I wasn't a fan of the team or I wasn't as diehard about them, so I can't really comment. But the general consensus I got was Rapids fans were happy – uh, we're obviously happy and still uh, feel affection towards him for being the head coach to win the only trophy in Rapids history. There's mixed emotions about his departure and the timing of it and whether it was the right thing. And, you know, Gary Smith has kind of partially come out in, you know, a few interviews over the last couple of years commenting on how he could have handled things differently. E e multiple people were jerks that ultimately led to that departure. <clears throat> and so there's mixed feelings about his departure. Um, but ultimately... I think both groups are in a better place because uh, Gary Smith is in a great head coaching situation with a team that is willing to spend money, fits in, and believes in his style. He has a good relationship, as far as I can tell, with ownership, with the front office, and with the players, obviously. Um, and he's in a position to be very competitive and still be Gary Smith, albeit, I think, an evolved and a matured and a more learned version of himself than the one that left the Colorado Rapids in, what, 2011, 2012? 
And I think also the Rapids are in a better position since then in terms of evolving into MLS 3.0. And I asked every single person this. I asked if you had the opportunity right now to swap Robin Frazier for Gary Smith. Nobody said yes. Everybody I spoke to on match day, press, fans, everybody said they would prefer to keep Robin Frazier over getting Gary Smith right now. So, Mark, maybe this is kind of like the, like, you you have a breakup, you know, you get into a new relationship, and then you're off on a trip somewhere, or it's been a really long time, and then suddenly you see your former ex, and it's been so long that, like, you both have changed, and it's like the, oh, I'm in a better relationship, and I've healed my wounds, and I'm happy right now, and I see that you've done the same, we're all right. And the only difference was, as opposed to just Gary Smith coming back and hanging around at Dick's Sporting Goods Park and talking to people, there was an actual game, and I'm sure somewhere in his, you know, sub-Freudian superego is like, yes, I won the breakup now because we finally played a game in MLS and I won playing my style and Rapids, you could have had me. But um, maybe I'm just projecting what I think of Gary Smith rather than um, the Gary Smith that actually now exists that's been away from the club for over a decade. So as, as Nashville tweeted out, Mark, I don't know if you saw, but um, they had a pretty good meme with Gary Smith photoshopped into like the um, the uh, Emperor Palpatine hood and everything and they tweeted revenge of the smith so um you know gary probably thinks that he won the breakup uh he certainly won the three points with the three goals on saturday and we'll see what this looks like going forward as nashville is going to be a part of the western conference rapids are going to go to geodis park uh, and robin frazier and uh company potentially have an opportunity uh could have an opportunity to get revenge later this season and maybe even come playoff time because i do think that nashville will be a playoff team Mark, anything else on this game? Anything else on this game, or that we want to say, or shall we get out of here? It's an early night for us, which means I can get back to watching the next uh, Star Trek um, Constant Contact with New Worlds show. I forget what it's called, but it's good. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm. Are you, are you caught up on on Obi Wan? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm all over that. It was this was uh, I tweeted earlier that this was the most uh, Empire Strike strikes backsy episode since empire strikes back itself which was super depressing in the sense that like i literally held iggy in my arms while we were watching it until basically he could take it no more and ran out of the room just way too much darth vader in this one for iggy small spoiler alert but i don't think saying darth vader features prominently in episode three is that big of a spoiler so but yeah a bit of a a bit of a bummer but uh hopefully you know i think i I'm not going to predict anything, Matt, but I think Obi-Wan comes out of this series okay. Uh, friends, uh, our sponsors are Icarus FC and Roughneck Scars. Roughneck makes fine neckwear uh, of all sorts of teams. Matt, I went to the Roughneck website to see what they've got. They have a great $14.99 uh, scarf section uh, you can buy all these different 14 uh, scarves for the bargain price of 14.99 they have 85 different choices uh at 14 dollars and 99 cents you can get the 2020 mls cup matchup scarf uh columbus crew versus seattle sounders you can get a 2018 mls cup champions atlanta united scarf you can get a um portland timbers atlanta united 2018 uh, half and half scarf you can make a you can get a random scarf that just says roughneck. You can get the Chicago Fire scarf from the aborted um uh whatchamacallit crest that they used for like one and a half seasons, <laughs> the weird space alien one. They're selling three of those right now for fourteen or sorry, six of five of those right now for fourteen ninety nine. And 
Um, Matt, in, in what I think, I, I think I mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, like last year, but the one that all of our fans should, on this podcast should go out and get because it's a bargain, you can get the 2010 MLS Cup Champions Colorado Rapids scarf, which will make you look like an OG even if you weren't even there like me, who was living in San Francisco in 2010. So Roughneck Scars, also our other sponsor, Icarus FC. They make all sorts of um, custom kits, which you can use for all sorts of fun occasions. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, how to read our written material, or how to contact us on email. Listeners, you can follow us individually on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out all of our collection written work at Pittsburgh Soccer Now, lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer, and our substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. That's where you can also become a paid highliner, uh, five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year. That is the best way to support us financially in addition to listening to the podcast and buying merch from our lovely sponsors. If you want to hit us up as a podcast on Twitter, at Rapids96Podcast, send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL or email us at Rapids96Podcast at gmail.com. We might need some – we've got a couple – interviews in the works folks um that should be interesting and definitely rapids related and topical uh but we might need some help with some content or you know maybe we'll just take a couple weeks off with the international break and then come back to you you know june 12th or whatever it is um but in any case send us your questions and maybe if it's good enough we'll dedicate a whole podcast episode in a week to it uh and then if we bring further monetary value to your life head on over to our patreon page patreon.com backslash rapids 96 podcast or for a very good sponsored deal uh with the denver post timber post.com backslash hthl for a really good deal on all of their digital sports content as i'm sure uh guys over the denver post are humming along with what the avalanche are doing there are lots of goals to write about i don't know if you saw the scoreline of the western conference final the other night mark since you're not a hockey guy no no idea uh the avalanche beat the oilers eight to six which is a really really high hockey scoring night you know was certainly very exciting no defense being played and the moose was loose uh nathan mckinnon was great and Connor mcdavid was uh Connor mcjesus uh but in any case listeners we will see you maybe not next week but certainly we will see you before we'll see you before uh june 19th against nycfc peace